Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. And joining me tonight, back from Knoxville, co-host Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSCC and his site readandreaction.com. Will, you survived, and you survived and had fun. I did, man. It, it was a blast. I mean, going to road games is always fun, but, man, is it fun when everybody shuts up halfway through the first <laughs> quarter. Because like, they were they were giving us crap the whole, uh, you know, all the pregame and all through the, the splitting of the tee and all that sort of stuff, and they quieted down awfully quickly, and it was, it was pretty nice. Uh, yeah, well, I'll I'll let you do, uh, explain the experience before we even get into uh, what actually happened on the field. So, uh, what time did you start tailgating? How how was the tailgates? How were the uh, how was the Vol Navy? All that stuff. You didn't uh, obviously you didn't steal a boat because you're still here with us. Uh, I, I, I didn't Allegedly, to, yeah. There we go. Yeah, I didn't have to. I didn't, I didn't get a call to bail you out. So uh, I'm I'm assuming it didn't happen unless there was some um, uh, just forgotten drunken rampage, but. Uh, uh, from everything I can understand, uh, it looks like you made it out of there pretty good. Yeah, man. We started tailgating probably around one or two o'clock. We, we went by, saw some, uh, Gators breakdown listeners. So Brandon Sanders invited us out. Uh, my brother and my brother-in-law came out with me and gave us some authentic moonshine. So that really started off the, uh, the afternoon well, and then, uh, wound up at a, uh, at a vol bar. We we got invited out by some guys who told us that they they had gotten a corner of the uh, of the bar for Gators and they were watching the A and M Alabama game. We went over to the bar; they weren't there anymore. So, <laughs> so so we got to fight our way through a bunch of Tennessee people, both in and out. But uh, you know, then just sort of sort of walked around campus and talked to different people, talked to a lot of Vols about what they expected. The the prevailing theme going into the game was that they thought it was going to be a good game between two bad teams, mm. and uh, <laughs> so they were disappointed <laughs> but, <laughs> but that was the prevailing thought going in it was an interesting vibe because it was almost like they didn't want to talk trash before the game because they thought it might be bad and then when it was bad they didn't want to talk trash afterwards so you know there were a couple of people we had we actually had a tennessee guy maybe two two sections down from us get kicked out that was kind of fun to watch he was he was screaming that he was entrapped he was screaming entrapment as, as they put the handcuffs off on him and, and i actually him may have seen a video of that today there was a there was a video on Twitter of going yes. around with that, yes, okay. and, then, uh, and then there were an awful lot of uh, profane Florida chants from the student section at Tennessee. You um, can hear that on TV, by the way. Yeah, well, yeah. it's also because they microphone they mic up the band. Uh-huh. This was really interesting to me. So they mic up the band, and then they have speakers in all four corners, or in the other three corners of the of of the stadium. So you can hear the band no matter where you're at, and it's kind of overpowering. But that's why it sounds so loud on TV when they're singing Rocky Top. It's because they're artificially boosting the sound of the uh, of the band. And so when the band is playing and the students start chanting, it gets picked up by the mic and goes all the way through the stadium. So um, it's, it's an interesting thing. It's not something I would have thought um, a school like Tennessee would need to do. You'd figure they'd have a large enough band that they'd wouldn't have to mic them up, but you know, they had to do it. It was an interesting, it, it's just an interesting stadium. Like outside's really pretty. 
you know, they've got the river coming down, the Vol Navy, all that stuff. It's really hilly. They've got some, they've got a really cool bridge that goes across. I took a picture of the stadium from the bridge. That was kind of cool. And then you go in and, and other than the checkerboard end zone, it's just kind of a normal, normal yeah. football stadium. There's nothing really unique inside the stadium um, that I'm going to say, oh, you know, I, I wish they did that at Florida. That'd be cool if they added it at Florida. You know, the Swamp's a really unique place. And I sort of walked out saying I'm glad my home team plays in the Swamp because, uh, you know, there's just more unique character to that stadium when you get inside, at least in my opinion. And luckily, with all those speakers you were talking about, you didn't have to hear Rocky Top all too often. Oh, man. <laughs> well, Mullen made them all hear it during the week, so uh, so he saved some of us. I'll, I'll be honest. There was a lot of chatter about Florida fans not buying their allotment of tickets and all that sort of stuff. There were a lot of Florida fans in that building, and there weren't a whole lot in the Florida in the in the part of the Florida section that that the university was giving away, I suppose. But you know, they were peppered throughout. There were a hey, lot the of second, people. Secondary but, ticket market's cheaper. <laughs> Sorry, well, but <laughs> well, and I'll tell you when when Swain when Swain went for the touchdown. It was loud. Yeah, it, it, it was. Now, part of it was because uh, the Tennessee fans really kind of <laughs> took that touchdown as an opportunity to turn on Pruitt, um, especially at the upper deck. They were not happy with the uh, with the run pass distribution from the Tennessee offense. Ah. Looking at the stats, I can understand why, especially when you look at the success that that uh, that they had on the ground versus through the air. Um, but they they were not happy. Um, it's it's going to be just like any SEC job. The heat's going to start. Uh, the heat's going to start firing up if, if Pruitt doesn't show some improvement and and showing some of the progress that we've been talking about on the Florida side. All right, well, so I know you, when you go back and watch film, you fast forward and all that, and you, know, you were in the stadium. I don't know how close you were to the Vol sideline, but did you get to see Pruitt kick the whiteboard? I did not see that live, unfortunately, uh, but, I, but I saw the meme coming through before my phone died um, <laughs> because we could not get a signal. You know, if people think that the signal for their cell phones is bad inside the swamp, it, it's nothing yeah. compared, compared to Tennessee because I, I ran out of battery about, you know, about halfway through the, <laughs> halfway yeah. through the first quarter and then uh, was, was, uh, going over and look at my brother's phone to figure out what was going on. So, so we knew he had done it, but we didn't know exactly when. And, uh, and yeah, it was kind of amusing to know that, that was going on on that sideline. What is it? Uh, what is up with Saban assistance and just absolute nutsos on the sidelines? <laughs> I mean, Kirby Smart even had his little, uh, tirade the other day too, before he looked like he was about to just eat his headset. So, well, that that one was pretty awesome because he, he kind of looked like my son when he, when he doesn't get his way, um, except maybe a little bit more blue in the face. Um, and and he is yeah. Anyway, so, <laughs> I can't say what I was going to say. So. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> but yeah, we, you know, we, we actually saw that. We we saw the uh, the first half of Georgia Missouri before we left um, for the tailgating, and and it was. Disappointing, I would say. Really, Missouri kind of played like Tennessee did <laughs> when it came to the turnovers and the ridiculous yeah. plays and all that sort of stuff. Um, I think Florida earned earned it a little bit more than maybe Georgia did. It seemed like Missouri kind of gave it away. But uh, hey, man, it, it's a good time being there on the sideline. It's it's a good time to to maybe take stock of where Florida is in comparison to some of these other um, coaches who are out there, the first year head coaches, some of the guys that, that, you know, some of us wanted and myself included and, and Mullen's done a good job thus far. And, and certainly the result of the Kentucky Mississippi state game, I think brings things into, into view a little bit um, in terms of that loss to, to Tennessee, but I'm going to contend that's a bad loss. Whenever you lose at home to an sec opponent, um, who's not Alabama or Georgia. I, I, I think it's a bad loss, but it doesn't look near as bad as it did a couple of weeks ago. All right, so let's talk some football. But remember, before we do, you can find Gators Breakdown on newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Find all the Gators Breakdown episodes as well as articles from the News for Jack sports team. That's newsforjacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. Listen to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and YouTube. You can catch us live on YouTube like some of you are doing now or go back and watch the video version there. And when using their services, please share, rate, and review the show. Let Gator Nation know what they're getting with Gators Breakdown. And follow us on social media at Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook. Will, uh, you released uh, your review article. Uh, of course, you know, I, I bet it was a little tough, you know, coming back from Knoxville and putting it all together uh, after the ride there. But in your review, you made sure to start with the defensive side of the ball. And in reading the review, 
you seem to be impressed with the improvement the last couple of weeks and, and, and especially in a couple of areas. Yeah, I mean, I I think one of the things I think we need to do is give credit to Grantham because he's very specifically taken some of the weaknesses that we've seen in the Florida defense over the last year, year and a half, and has decided to address them and address them in a relatively creative way. So the thing that I know the thing that I noted in the article is that he's taken Voshan Joseph and basically said, You are going to guard tight ends and you're going to guard tight ends in coverage. We're not going to let you guard running backs in coverage anymore. We're not going to give you specific responsibilities in the run game other than sort of following the tight end. And and he's done a fantastic job the last two weeks. So um, Wood Anderson, the the tight end for Tennessee, didn't have one catch. And in fact, he... And that he, was somebody Mike, uh, our Tennessee guest on last week, really told us to watch out for. Yeah, well, and Voshan Joseph, I mean, on that key fourth down play where where Tennessee didn't get it, it was one-on-one, Voshan Joseph versus Wood Anderson. And even last week against Cameron Butler for Colorado State, that was a guy that I looked at, and he had just torched Arkansas the week before. And certainly Florida's linebackers have struggled in coverage enough that it's that it was a concern that they had a tight end who might really be able to rip down the center of the field. And Joseph took him out of the game too. There was a play where he was one-on-one and there was sort of a, a deep square in. And Joseph dove and knocked the ball down and was able to defend that as well. So he shut down the tight end two straight weeks in a row. The fact that they had him out wide freed up Chauncey Gardner and David Reese to then deal with the quarterback swing passes and deal with really sort of the blitzing. And in fact, on the play where Zuniga got the sack, or was it Polite? Polite got the sack to force the fumble. Polite didn't get blocked at all, but he didn't get blocked because Wood Anderson came in to block, and he and the running back took the same guy, and it was a blitzing Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. And the reason Gardner-Johnson could blitz is because they were leaving Joseph. If if the tight end had released, it would have been Joseph's man. I mean, that would have been his guy. The fact that they're trusting him in coverage is freeing up these other guys to do the things that they do well. So, you know, that's a strategic adjustment that I think that, that... Grantham has made that's basically saying, hey, we might give up a nine or a 10 yard pass to a tight end every once in a while, but what we're not going to do is get beat deep by a running get run, by a running back or get gashed by a running back because we've put him on him. And, and, you know, Joseph has stepped up. Joseph has played really well. I think that's something that we really need to acknowledge that he is the last two weeks. He has been a strength on the defense, whereas last year he was not. And I think you really have to give him credit for that. Yeah, also, you know, with Joseph, you know, in the last couple of weeks there, and you saw these guys kind of emerge at the same time, the the turnaround of Joseph after the Kentucky game, and also that defensive line being retooled, retooled with, with Shul, Adam Schuler in there now and Kyrie Campbell. Uh, those guys are, you know, out there. They're helping. Op- they're, they're getting in the backfield. They're also opening up lanes for these linebackers to come in and get the tackles like Reese and, and Joseph. And those guys were disruptive in, in the backfield. You can add Zuniga in there this game, uh, the last two games as well, uh, CC Jefferson on the safety. And, Will, you have pointed out, again, you know, the steady improvement of Sean Joseph, but it also comes in in uh, in pairs with I think Schuler and Campbell getting CC Jefferson back and, and Zuniga. You know these are really just some positives that we've been able to take away these last two games. Yeah, well, CC Jefferson is a really good player. I mean, I think he had thirteen and a half tackles for loss last year. I don't think it's a coincidence that he comes back and all of a sudden Florida's defense is getting in the backfield again. I mean, even if he's not the guy in the backfield, mm-hmm. you have to you have to double team him, and when you do that, it opens things up for other people. So just like Joseph in coverage frees up other people to do the things they're good at, CC Jefferson on the edge frees up other people to do the things they're good at. Um, you know, Florida had nine tackles for loss. That was a big part of the story is that Tennessee could not run the ball, especially in the first half. It was third and seven, third and 17, third and eight, pretty much the entire first half. Did Tennessee convert a few of those? Yeah. But at the same time, it also set them up to where Guarantano had to pass. It was a known passing situation. And, um, you know, Florida was able to pen and Sears and come back at, come after him and got him a couple of times. And even the zone blitz where Luke Ankrum dropped back um, you know, again, that's one of those things where you've got him in third and long, and instead of just going after him, Grantham called a blitz, called a blitz that freed up the defensive end to drop into coverage. Guarantana didn't see him, and it turns into a turnover. So, um, yeah, I've been very, I was very impressed with the game that Grantham called, especially when I went back and looked at the film and saw some of the adjustments he made. You know, I saw Joseph out wide in the first quarter and went, "Ooh, that's <laughs> risky," and <laughs> and it and it turned out to be the right thing to do. Now it's going to be interesting to see whether it's the right thing to do in some other spaces. You can imagine a team countering that by bringing in more of a pass catching tight end. 
mm-hmm. and sending him out wide. And now you've sort of got him in the same situation. So now they've shown that, and we'll see whether a team like Mississippi State or LSU or Georgia can take advantage of it. Um, but you know, a team like Mississippi State next week probably doesn't have the personnel to do it and doesn't really want to do it. Right. And so I think it's a strategy that they'll be able to employ next week. And um, you know, the turnovers are great, obviously. Um, most of them were at least in some capacity forced by Florida. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's the one on the drop snap by Christ. Um, there was the one in the end or through the end zone on the long pass, which obviously is a blown coverage and great hustle by Henderson to get back. But I was about know, to go there anyway. So you were my, I, was, I wanted to get your opinion on that play, you know, relentless, relentless effort is da- a Dan Mullen staple. And it showed on that play. Well, that guy scores last year, yeah. right? And he's, and he scores walking away and he scores walking into the end zone and, and guys probably give up. The fact that Henderson gets over there and hits him is what causes the fumble. Now that fumble doesn't happen 99 times out of a hundred. And if Tennessee punches it in from the one at that point, well, then, you know, it's a completely different ball game. Same thing after the fumble up for Pirine when they were up 14 to three and they got the fourth down, um, the fourth down stop. And then Pirine fumbles it on the very next play. Um, you know, if Tennessee turns around and turns that into something other than a field goal, the game is very different. So, you know, you've got these hinge moments in every game and this game became a walk because Florida was able to convert their opportunities and Tennessee was not, um, Again, as, as competition gets better, I think that that's going to be an issue. Is Florida's going to continue to have to be opportunistic. I mean, it's been a hallmark of Grantham's defenses to cause turnovers. And one of the problems in the Kentucky game is they caused a couple of turnovers, but they really weren't getting big plays. They weren't getting to the quarterback, and they were giving up the explosive plays. And if you're, if you're going to give up the explosive plays, you have to get some explosive plays on your side from a defensive perspective. And those turnovers happened against Tennessee. You're not going to be able to rely on six turnovers a game, though. And so, you know, Florida, this game probably seemed like a much bigger mismatch than it actually was because of the turnovers. But, hey, turnovers are part of the game. Florida earned it. And at the end of the day, I don't think anybody thinks Tennessee was going to win that game after watching both teams. I've been watching Guarantano. And, you know, I, I said in my preview article that I trusted Franks on the road less than I trusted Guarantano at home. And he proved me wrong. I mean, he went out there and played much better than Guarantano, played very, very well, didn't turn over the ball on the road through what three three touchdown passes and ran for another one mm-hmm. um you know he's already he's already exceeded his touchdown passes for last year it's more than halfway to his yardage he's been well above average this year as a quarterback um you know i you can't say enough about the guy he has he has gone out and he has become a very good quarterback for florida he's not just average i mean people call him a game manager but thus far this year he has been above average for the entire year and that's an impressive thing yeah, and, and again on offense, Will, you know, not many plays because of the special teams and, and the great field position, but something they did better this week and was actually putting the ball in the end zone and not settling for field goals. You know, for the season, the Gators have 17 red zone attempts, eight passing touchdowns, three rushing touchdowns, and five field goals. Should be six field goals. Um, but never mind, that may not be in the red zone. So there we go. Uh, either way. Um, so, but uh, so the Gators have scored on all but one red zone attempt uh, in the season, and the majority of those are touchdowns. So, I think you know, pairing that and scoring touchdowns on the road, and also the offensive line played their best game of the year. Oh, well, the offensive line was really good. And, you know, in the article, I highlighted the play that Scarlett scored on where you could see the there was a pull by Tyler Jordan who came around and just absolutely stoned the linebacker he was responsible for. And then um, then Jawan Taylor had a combo block where he double teams the guy at the line of scrimmage, make sure he's taken care of and then gets to the linebacker at the second level and stone that guy, too. And so, you know, Kirkland and and. Uh, and Batuli are sort of the strength, you would think, of the Tennessee defense, and and they just got absolutely <laughs> they, they got mauled on that play. And Scarlett didn't get hit till he was eight or nine yards down the down you know past the line of scrimmage, and you, you get Scarlett nine yards without getting hit, and and he's going to go sorry for, for the guy he's coming up to. Well, yeah, he's going to go for a long way. I mean, basically, they kind of olated at that point. <laughs> it was it was like, well, this one's over regardless. We might as well let him score right now. Um, I, I mean, obviously, it was much. So last week against Colorado State, one of the concerns was that they weren't able to punch the ball in when they got the turnovers early, and and clearly that makes a difference to be up fourteen nothing rather than be up six nothing after the uh, after the first quarter. Um, but you know I've talked a lot about explosive plays. That first touchdown required that twenty three yard pass to Swain, where from my vantage point it looked like he scored, but when I went back and looked at it, he was down at the one yard line. Um, 
you know, and then and then they didn't have the McElwain special false start on the first and goal from the one, <laughs> even though they had to run the play like three or four times. You know, I mean, God, you sit there, stadium took them twenty minutes to score because they kept calling it a touchdown every every time. But you know, but there, so a twenty-three yard pass is an explosive play. You could tell the middle was going to be open before that play was run. They had a really nice play design where the outside receiver sort of, um, sort of sort of pressed to the edge to get the safety to go that way. And then Swain came in on the inside um, and was able to catch that ball. And so, you know, again, those kinds of plays are necessary to score points and, and Florida is getting those chunk plays, even, you know, even after a turnover. Now, obviously the one after the interception, they didn't really have the opportunity to same thing after the fumble at the, at the end of the second half, but, you know, taking advantage of those opportunities, is a hallmark of a good team, but it's also, um, you know, it's something that they're not going to be able to count on. Eventually, the offense going to have to put together a couple eighty-yard drives to win some games. Yeah, so uh, a little bit of the worry, will, and um, the coming at this game and probably the last two games. I got that echo again, will. Uh, so yeah, there we go. Um, the fan base is coming out and said, you know, they want some of the playmakers to, to get the ball. You know, Kadarius Tony had the one nice uh, run that he, that he had. Uh, Van Jefferson, Trevon Grimes didn't have a really much of an impact uh, in, in this game. And there's a lot, you know, the lack of, you know, spreading touches on the offense. And Dan Mullen was asked about it and, and did mention, and we've, you know, we brought it up as well. You brought it up in your article. We brought it up last week on the podcast uh, as well. It's just really there's a lack of plays on the offense right now. 44 last week. I think it was 53 uh, against Tennessee. And uh, Mullen mentioned to that there, there is a get-it-to list, but right now it, it, it's hard for that get it to list because of the lack of plays that they're running and good and the lack of plays are not necessarily because of bad things happening on offense it's because of good things happening on other parts of the field, the defense and the special teams helping you out there, putting you in good field position or actually scoring themselves and giving the ball right back to the opposing offense. Um, so, you know, Mo mentioned the good things that are, that are happening uh, at the same time, but you know, it's uh are there t- well, we love to see Kadarius Tony get more carries. Absolutely, he seems to be an electric playmaker every time he touches the ball. Uh, and I'm sure some of the game plan has kind of went out the window the last couple of weeks because of the great field position that you had, uh, scoring in every which way possible. I'm sure the game plans that they that they've went into these games with uh, hasn't necessarily been ran to its full effect because of the way these games have played out. Yeah, I mean. It's interesting. I, I'm not concerned about Florida's offense at this point. I mean, they just went on the road and averaged 7.3 yards per play, put up five explosive plays, one of them that big pass to Swain, but also 47-yard pass to or run for Pierce, the 38-yard pass to Cleveland, 34-yard run for, for Tony, and then I already mentioned that pass on the opening drive to Swain. I mean, they put up 207 yards on five plays. Like, the offense has some explosive explosion to it. I mean, you could you could say, hey, the the – you know, they only put up 180 yards on the remaining 48 plays. But I mean, at the end of the day, some of that was also them just trying to run out the clock in the third quarter. <laughs> and that third quarter felt like it took about two hours. So, <laughs> so I can understand why they do that. I mean, I think when you look at the offense, they're aver- they average 9.8 yards per pass. They average 5.9 yards, excuse me, 5.9 yards per rush. So if you look at that, you go, that's well above average. Um, those are really good averages. You're going to put up a bunch of points when you do that. And then you look, so the other side of the ledger, though, they gave up 2.9 yards per rush on 54 attempts. So they were really stout against the run, but they gave up 8.3 yards per pass and had a couple of pass interference penalties. That, I think, is the area where people probably need to focus in terms of where um, where Florida can improve. Now, some of that is, you know, you mentioned the consistent pressure. They're getting on Guarantano, but they brought a lot of guys. On, on, you know, there were five guys coming quite a bit. They isolated some people on the outside. Trey Dean got picked on a little bit yeah, when he was yeah. on the outside, but they even got they even got a couple of penalties on, on C.J. Henderson. Um, there are going to be teams that are going to be able to take advantage of the safeties in the inside if you give a quarterback enough time. So, you know, it's been my concern all year because of the way the defensive backs played last year that that was going to rear its ugly head. I think in some capacity, the turnovers overshadowed the fact that that they have struggled a little bit on the back end. Um, it doesn't mean that they aren't going to get better. It doesn't mean that they're not better. And in fact, you would expect Tennessee. I mean, they took a bunch of deep shots, and and that's going to be reflected in their in their average. But and they didn't have a very high completion percentage. But certainly, especially in the second half, were able to move the ball by hitting a couple of deep throws. So, you know, if you're going to complain about something in this game, I think that's probably the area that you look at. Uh, there were some plays where if the quarterback had gotten the ball out on time. 
And if he'd gotten the ball out deep enough, he would have had some touchdowns on on some throws to the outside. Um, there's one in particular I want to say where Dean was in coverage, but I can't quite remember, um, where the receiver had him beat by three or four yards. The ball was underthrown, and he was able to come back and break it up. And that was, yeah. I think, in the third quarter. So yeah. that's the area where I would focus my criticism. There were some guys who were open who got missed. Um, sometimes they got missed because Florida's um, – Florida's line got there. Um, sometimes it just got missed because Guarantano missed it. And, you know, that's not so Jake Fromm isn't going to miss that throw. Georgia's offensive line is going to be better than, than Tennessee's. And, and that's the challenge that's coming. And that would be the area where I would be most concerned moving forward for Florida. Not because those players aren't good, but just because they're thin and they're inexperienced. And, and that tends to show up. Uh, Will, are you surprised at the kind of lack of maybe easy passes for Franks? And especially you, you mentioned that third quarter, you know, and uh, they were they were trying to pass the ball a little bit more than I thought they would, you know, with the big lead they had and especially coming out and, and scoring right away after the turnover on the kickoff. Uh, you know, we haven't seen since the first game, you know, I haven't really seen a whole lot of wide receiver screens uh, using the, the backside of the backfield a lot. You know, there seemed to be, and we mentioned his completion percentage, and he went through that stretch uh, there and there were some drops in there, some throwaways and some smart throwaways. Uh, but I am kind of, you know, going back to the play con a little bit, am surprised that there's not a little more easy throws for Franks to get him warmed up in, in either to start the game or either when he goes through that little spell uh, to, to, to help get the passing game going a little bit more. Yeah, maybe a little bit. I, I think what you said earlier about the game plan being thrown out the window is probably relevant. I think they've got things they want to work on. And I'm not sure that you necessarily want to give away those things that you would use to get your quarterback in rhythm when he's struggling um, if you don't have to, right? And, you know, the pass to the pass to Cleveland's a great example. I mean, they could have sat on that ball. They could have punted it away and everything would have been okay, but they decided to take the shot. You know, Franks was in there late. He was still in there when when I think he was still in there when Pierce ran for the touchdown, or maybe he came out the drive before. But we were pretty surprised in the fourth quarter when he was still out there. Um you know, coming out and leading the offense. And, and again, I, th- I think that's sort of um, in- indicative of both the fact that Mullen's going to go for the jugular when he has the opportunity, <laughs> but also that he's still trying to teach these guys things. And so I can envision, you know, th- there were some plays in there that I don't think are probably staples of their offense that they ran to see, you know, can we execute this stuff? Are we capable of executing it? And then in that, in that third and fourth quarter, the offensive line started playing really well. And if your offensive line is, is clearing the way, you know, go ahead and go ahead and take advantage of it. So, um, you know, again, they had 26 points at the half. They end up with 47 at the end. So you scored 21 in the second half. Um, you know, 26 points, 26 point went on the road. There's not a whole lot to pick apart. I mean, obviously you can always play better. You can always do better. Um, there are always going to be things that can improve. Even Saban wants people to speak ill about his team <laughs> after they've demolished everyone so that he can still convince them they have stuff to work on. So there's stuff to stuff to work on. But I think one of the things that, that I learned from this and one of the things that I think I, I tried to relay in the article that I wrote is that coming into the season, there were some games where probably I penciled in Florida as, hey, that's an automatic loss. And going on the road, your first road game, going out, not turning the ball over a lot, forcing a bunch of turnovers and really playing with the poise that they did means that I don't know if there's any game where you go, this is an automatic loss. Mm-hmm. And and that's, you know, it doesn't mean they won't lose anymore. In fact, I think they probably will. But I think that, you know, coming into the year, you know, you sort of went, oh, geez, that game against Georgia, that's probably going to be, that's probably going to be rough. Oh, we haven't beat Florida State in a really long time. That one might be rough. And, and at the end of the day now, there are, there's no game where I'm going to say Florida doesn't have a chance. Yeah. And, and that's not something I would have said before this one. I would have said, hey, going on the road to to Mississippi State, that's going to be a really rough one. Hey, you know, LSU at home, that's going to be a really rough one. And some of these still may end up being bad games, but bad games for Florida fans. But um, at the end of the day, I think Florida's proven that they're going to be able to compete with anybody. And that's what happens when you go on the road and win by 26 in the SEC. You know, you, may, you make some people believe. Now, Tennessee isn't the best team in the SEC, I don't think, by any stretch. Um, I think I thought they'd be better than they are. Um, but I also think the turnovers mask how close these teams were, and and we'll have to keep that in mind as we as we move forward. All right, well, some key notes here uh, from what some some of the Gators are doing, and we mentioned the game plans maybe going out the window here. But the Gators are off to fast starts this year; they're outscoring their opponents one hundred and one to thirteen in the first half, and that includes a seventy one to six advantage in the second quarter. So there, uh, that is a far cry from what we have seen in recent years. <laughs> well, I mean, 
scoring 101 points over a four-game stretch <laughs> is a far cry from what we've seen. That's a higher average in the first half than we've seen on a per-game basis in the McIlwain Nuss. It actually is. I'm not joking. That really, it's, 20, it's more than 25 points a game, and we haven't seen that, and they were scoring like 22 and 23. Um, yeah, I mean, so... Yes, they're getting off the fast starts. The defense is really getting off to a fast start, putting the offense in an advantageous situation, and that's allowing uh, that that's allowing them to move things forward. Yeah, a couple more here. Uh, let me see if I can find there. Uh, Eighteen scrimmage touchdowns this season, uh, and a pair of punt return touchdowns, one via block, uh, meaning uh, there's more than halfway to its 2017 total of 28 total touchdowns scored. So. 18 so far this season and only 28 all of last year. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's all. I mean, that's really sort of the difference in Franks, right? I mean, yeah. nine all last year, 12 this year, he's averaging 7.9 or Florida as a team's averaging 7.9 yards per attempt. Um, Franks was down around, I think 6.3. Um, the quarterbacks have run for 3.1 yards per rush. And last year they were, you know, basically a yard per rush, if not less than that. Um, so, you know, there hasn't been any dynamic running mm-hmm. from the uh, from the quarterbacks, but you know there was a nice little sort of sixteen or seventeen yard run by Franks there on one of those drives. There, in, there is in, some in dynamic hurdling on those happening. <laughs> well, I, I was kind of afraid he might need a, a cup on that one because it looked like he got hit pretty hard. But uh, but you know, I mean, the quarterback play has significantly improved, and that was what we hoped we would see with Mullen, but that's not what he showed his first year in Mississippi State. Quite honestly, it's not what he showed his first year at Florida when he took over and Chris Leak was playing. Mm-hmm. Leak did not necessarily did not get better from his last year with Zook compared to his year one with Mullen. And so obviously Franks is a talented player. And so you take a talented player who's had minimal coaching and you give him significant coaching and you hope you're going to see an increase. But you know, this was I was really impressed by the way he played on the road. There were some things where I'm like, oh, he should have gotten that ball out quicker. There were some things where it was like, oh, I wish he'd thrown that ball away instead of taking the sack. There were some things he didn't see from a pre-snap perspective when when Tennessee was bringing extra guys where you would have liked to have seen him go to a hot route. But at the end of the day, he didn't turn the ball over. He didn't do anything stupid. He didn't throw into double coverage, I don't think, once. And I think that's the first time I've ever said that, where, you know, there's almost always that one throw across the middle where you're like, oh, there's three defenders there. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't see that once. And so it's growth from from the player. I mean, he clearly has come in and he clearly was able to take care of the ball while also taking appropriate risks. And and that's all Mullen. And that's really, really impressive. Well, we talked about tempo and, and explosive plays. Uh, you know, ad, ad nauseum going into to this season. We, we, we broke it down uh, pretty good, you know, in, in a few episodes when we were really breaking down the Dan Mullen higher and stuff. So right now, Florida has 15 touchdown drives under three minutes this season. Part of that's, you know, field position, but some of that's big plays as well. Uh, last year, the Gators had 12 such touchdown drives, and they had 15 in 2016. So 15 touchdown drives under three minutes so far this year, 12 last year and they've already tied that mark in 2016. Yeah, well I mean it's the little things, right? Yeah. It's it's the things that that prevent you know you think of the little things as the stuff that prevents a first down or prevents a third down from being converted or something like that. But the little things be, were really important for the big plays for Florida. So the 65-yard pass to Swain uh, Moral Stevens had to come over and make a block, mm-hmm. and it was it was a block where he really could have gotten the guy in the back, and he didn't. He just sort of got in the way, and he got in the way enough that Swain was able to get past him. And on that play, you know, Franks kept his eyes up and was able to hit Swain after he sort of drifted back when the corner who was covering him kept drifting across the field. And um, from the end zone camera, it's a really unique view to see a guy sort of run himself open when he sees his quarterback scrambling and Franks was able to hit him. And that's not something Franks would have done last year. He wouldn't have thrown it or he would have run out of bounds and taken the sack or he would have not seen it and he would have thrown it out of bounds. Uh, but that's not something he would have done last year. And and by the same token, the 38-yard pass to Cleveland for the touchdown, Scarlett did an unbelievable job in pass protection on that play. Just absolutely stoned his guy. And and you know, usually the running back is responsible for the linebacker. But on that particular play, he was responsible for a senior defensive end. And he stood him up and he held him there. And he held him there long enough that Franks was able to deliver the ball. 
Franks was actually a little bit late on the throw, especially live from, from our vantage point. You could see Cleveland open and in one-on-one coverage pretty much the whole time. And, um, you know, he was still in one-on-one and still open. <laughs> actually, he wasn't quite as open when he threw it. But, but the block by Scarlett allows Franks to take that extra beat. And so really the idea that by doing the little things, you can have one person, you know, take a little bit of extra time or be a little bit more deliberate or, you know, not see something right away and still get the playoff because everybody else did their job and, and they picked up the guy who maybe was doing things a little bit slower. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that's what those plays don't happen last year because, well, Scarlett's not playing last year, but those plays don't happen two years ago because Scarlett was struggling in pass protection and it doesn't happen on that pass to Swain because the receivers were not thinking touchdown. They were thinking, Oh, we got it. We got the first down. We're good to go. And, you know, Moral Stevens coming over and making that block was a huge deal. Sprung Swain really turned the game. I mean, the minute Swain scored, it was it was the end. Yeah. Uh, and Florida has also already surpassed its 2017 totals for rushing and passing touchdowns over uh, of 30-plus yards. So uh, explosive plays are definitely really making a difference uh, here for this Gator offense. Um, here we go. We know the Gators with 14 lead the nation in turnovers right now. Uh, they're also ranked, uh, they're also tied second nationally for turnover margin at plus 10. So the past two seasons, the Gators have tied for 85th and 47th in turnover margin. Uh, so already, sir, so right now with plus 10 or second nationally uh, in turnover margin. So will another thing, you know, turnovers, as you said, we will hopefully just can keep going uh, throughout the season, especially in the bigger games where Florida would need these turnovers to, to, to match up with the better teams. Uh, but, you know, uh, you, we'll see. Uh, I, I like the dig um, that uh, the University of Florida put out in their notes. No chain, no backpack, just turnovers. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's certainly it's never it's never a bad time to take a shot at Florida State. Um, and, and, you know, Florida leads the, leads the country in turnovers and, you know, you can keep reciting all these stats and they're all very, very positive things for Florida. The offensive stuff is really positive to me because, um, because a lot of that is earned the turnover stuff in some cases is fluky. So if you get four fumbles in a game, four fumbles go on the ground in a game, typically the offense will recover two and the defense will recover two. So the fact that Florida only only lost one of five fumbles that were on the ground, recovered the other four, is a little bit fluky. And each of those fumbles really changed the tide of the game. Um, and, and so, you know, those are things, certainly, you know, the one from Polite to start the game was a, was a play where Florida caused it. The interception by Ankrum is something where Florida's scheme caused it. The interception by CJ Henderson, or I'm sorry, by Stewart on the deep ball was just fantastic. Um, and, and really you can even consider the turnover. I don't, I don't consider it a turnover, but the play by P Ryan on the, on the onside kick mm-hmm. um, really prevented a turnover from occurring too. So, um, you know, Florida was on point. They were the guys who were the fastest at the ball. You hear this in, in, uh, in basketball all the time, you know, that one team's faster to the loose balls. And it really sort of felt like that watching the game that, that Tennessee wasn't really diving on the ground as hard, didn't want it quite as bad. And, and Florida was just, was, was, has basically been trained that when the ball's in the ground, you're going after it and you're going after it hard. And so, um, hopefully they'll be able to keep it going throughout the year, but I, I do think that there are some underlying metrics that indicate that if the turnovers don't continue, Florida's defense may struggle, but we'll see what happens as we move forward. Talking about the defense, in one place they haven't struggled, Will, uh, they're tied 12th nationally in red zone defense, so they're only allowing their opponents to score at a 66.7% rate, 4 of 6 inside the 20-yard line, and uh, even more uh, impressive at preventing touchdowns in the red zone as its 33.3% opponent red zone touchdown percentage is tied for fourth among FBS teams. So that's kind of a staple for Grantham as well. And kind of going back to looking at that Mississippi State defense last year too, uh, that, that he coached and, and turned around is they're really strong in the, in, in the red zone and, and making teams uh, kick field goals and not really score touchdowns. Yeah, well, and that's something that's going to have to continue. Now, obviously, I mean, even if we say Kentucky's really, really good after the after the win at Mississippi State, I'm not really ready to say that. But let's say that Kentucky's a a really, really good team. You still got Charleston, Southern, Colorado State, and Tennessee mm-hmm. as the three teams on your schedule. Now, obviously, I picked Tennessee to win, so I thought Tennessee was going to be uh, a lar- a 
more uh, formidable opponent than they turned out to be. So for me to now come on and say, hey, Tennessee's not that great is and and use that to dismiss what Florida's done is 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 not fair either. But I mean, you know, there there are bigger dogs coming. <laughs> and and so we'll see where the defense is at the end of the year after they've gone through. Now at the quarter poll, the defense has been about average. Um, if you look at now turnovers, they've been great, but they've been slightly below average when you look at the four when you add up the four games, um, you know, for, um, you know, when you add up the four games that they played as far as yards above replacement. So how they've played against the opposing quarterbacks, they've been a little bit below average. Now, certainly that, that gets impacted by, by Kentucky, um, you know, playing very, very playing poorly against Kentucky, but you know, it is what it is, right? So um, they've been slightly below average. That's going to, um, normally that would amount to about 27 points a game and they've been giving up, uh, something like uh hold on a second and they've been giving up considerably less than that and so you know we'll see 16 points a game so we'll see if 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 they start to if those turnovers start to dry up you can envision they're going to start giving up 22 23 24 points is the offense going to be able to keep up at that point without getting the short field that's really where the challenge is going to come in but yeah the defense played great um grantham's made some adjustments he's clearly made changes that fit his personnel and that's one of the things that uh that Mullen has been saying all off season, as far as the quarterback position is making sure that they do the things that the quarterback does well, put him in a situation to succeed. And, you know, last year with all of the, we had a game plan, the players didn't just didn't execute, you know, that, that day is over now. Now it's, we're going to make adjustments to, to, um, to make, to let our personnel do what they do best and to limit them from doing the things that they don't do well. And, and that's what we've seen coming from that Kentucky game to the Colorado state game to the Tennessee game, there's been a clear change in strategy on the defensive side of the ball in terms of how they're going to utilize their linebackers. And I think that's, that's impacted things along with the return of people like Jefferson and Reese. All right. So you mentioned uh, kind of the games Florida has played so far. And I did put out on Twitter today, a poll question for the uh, uh, Twitter faithful out there. And uh, what grade would you give the Gators in the first four games? of the season uh it was an abcd choice here uh so uh 63 said they give the grade of a b for the gators 33 said a c three percent said an a and one percent said a d and that was out of 1200 votes there uh for this poll uh so we'll get some feedback here uh rich uh at rich 559 he goes b minus b minus at minimum for me uh, games are much more fun to watch compared to years past. Special teams is important again. Next three game stretch will tell all for me, and ultimately, if we beat FSU or not. So yeah, we'll we'll go through this. You know, I really, really wanted this year to just forget about the rest of the games that we're going to play from for right now. Um, but uh, yeah, if you and everybody's going to have a different way of grading this, whether they grade it on a curve, whether they grade it on different kind of expectations they have for this Gator team, whether it be preseason expectations or reset expectations after Kentucky, uh, whatever reason, I think people are going to have different ways of, uh, of doing this. But with sixty-three percent going with the grade B, our first answer there, you know, B minus. You know, look, I mean, it is it is a lot more fun to watch this Gator team compared to what we've seen in years past. Oh man, is it ever? And you don't really know what you're going to see. And and big plays are coming from everywhere. You mentioned special teams. That was one other thing. Is is Townsend pinning them deep twice? Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 fumble recovery on the kickoff, the onside kick recovery, um, all those sorts of things add up over the course of a year. Those little things are going to eventually add up to a win somewhere because they do their little things correctly. Yep, uh, Chris at uh, the Weekly Chomp. Uh, he says the B plus for him. They have changed mentally, really have challenged themselves to get better every week, and they're not just showing up anymore. They come to play. Uh, how about this offense? We're scoring points this year. Hashtag go Gators. Uh, Monte at True Dreamer 21. Uh, B minus here. Uh, both sides of the ball can get better. Definitely need to see the offense pick it up the next couple of weeks. Uh, a few more here. Uh, at unbiased UF, uh, it would be it would have been a C for me, but Kentucky beating Mississippi State makes the loss not as bad. So, Will, you know, going back, you mentioned it a couple of times of uh, of how Kentucky and Mississippi State uh, played their game this week in a twenty eight to seven win by Kentucky. I think this is part of where um, you know we weren't happy with the way Kentucky came out and, and uh, you know destroyed Florida in the trenches. Still a close game at the end. Florida still had a chance. 
Uh, you know, so even though the stat sheet was ugly, still had a chance at the very end uh, to go and try and try and make something happen and, and win that game. Uh, but I think, you know, a lot of fans are taking it from basically that point forward and what we saw this past week and, you know, the, the, the grade uh, on that probably CB uh, and there'll be, and I'll read some more replies here, but it'll be kind of some fluctuations. And part of reason is because Kentucky coming off that Mississippi state win. Sure. I mean, I think you need to, you need to take that into account. I mean, we'll see. I, I, I think, uh, you know, we talk about trap games all the time and, and teams looking past opponents and stuff like that. And you got to imagine Mississippi state was kind of looking to next week, right. With Mullen coming in and that sort of stuff. So how much did that play into it versus how good is Kentucky? It's also just one data point. Now, obviously Kentucky is one on the road at Florida. And they've and they've beaten Mississippi State at home, so they've beaten some some good teams um, on their resume. Um, but you know, they still got, we, we will see how good they are as the schedule goes forward. I'm not buying into the narrative that Kentucky is a fantastic team. Might they win eight games, nine games? Sure, and an eight or nine win team is probably going to finish ahead of Florida, I would guess, this year. Which means they probably should have beaten Florida when they played them. So I don't think it's a terrible loss, but I, I don't think we're looking at an eleven and one team or anything like that. Yeah, I, I agree there. Uh, there was some talk around here. What could they give? Could they give Georgia a push for the East? No. <laughs> I'll put it plain and simple. That's my opinion. No. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not even saying Georgia's. Uh, they, they, they took some chinks in the armor too uh, this past weekend, but I still don't think uh, Georgia and Kentucky are anywhere near close uh, here. So uh, tag at Original Gator says a B for him. Uh, the Kentucky game was obviously a speed bump, but seeing progress in Franks in the offense. Also seeing corrections made since that Kentucky game with the line and tackling. Oliver Berry uh, says whatever they're doing, they are improving. That's all we can ask for them. Um, uh, Florida Panhandler says we are grading with the besides Kentucky game. Outside of Kentucky, we have played no one. This weekend will truly be a better scale. Um, John Curto, uh, B to B minus. There's still a ton to clean up, and inconsistency can really come back to bite you. There's tangible progress, though which is huge. We're seeing a lot more effort the last two weeks and the impact of leadership and play from Reese and Cece uh, and identity is emerging as well. So, well, that is something uh, I'll bring up, you know, uh, John actually asked that question a couple weeks ago about the identity of this team. If you had to say what the identity of this team would be right now, what would you say it would be? I'd say it's attention to detail. Yeah. So, you know, the offensive line's getting better. The running backs are getting better. The quarterback's getting better. The defense is making adjustments and seems to be getting better. And all those things are small things that where, you know, that game against Kentucky when the linebackers were jumping out of their gaps, that's a matter of trying to make a huge play rather than making the right play and doing your job. And the players are all now starting to do their job. And I wrote last year after the Michigan game that it just didn't seem like any of the players trusted the guy next to him and that that was a reflection on the coach, that, that the fact that you know the running back couldn't, couldn't pass protect meant that the offensive line didn't know who they needed to pick up. In fact, the offensive line struggled meant the running back didn't know who he needed to pick up. And so oftentimes both guys would stare at each other while two guys ran and absolutely pummeled Franks. And and that happened a little bit early on. I mean, and in that Kentucky game, there were some plays by plays that Kubelik diagrammed about the offensive line not coming off or not not sliding their protections in the right direction and Franks getting hit. It didn't happen at all against Tennessee, or at least very minimally against Tennessee. So, um, you know, the attention to detail, I think, for the little things is really sort of what's what's leading to some of these bigger plays because you get a quarterback who can stand in for an extra beat or you get a running back who makes an extra cut or, you know, whatever the case might be. And, and that's really sort of why we're seeing some of the progress. And, and it's a lot more fun to watch, that's for sure. Yeah, I'd probably say, you know, advantageous, opportunistic as far as the whole team goes with the turnovers and then the offense being able to take advantage so far. Uh, and seeing that the special teams also, you know, having their chances. And so I think that's how I, I'd kind of identify them right now. It's kind of opportunistic, advantageous, and hopefully that can keep up. Uh, I don't know if you, how much, you know, you, uh, I think you can build your team that way. Um, 
you know, you probably can't sustain that. You can't uh, sustain uh, on building program. But until things get figured out on offense, until France can come around and be maybe a more consistent as far as completion percentage comes around, if he's ever going to you know take that step, at least you know this is getting them where they can still win some ball games uh, right right now. So uh, let's see, Nick. Uh, Torobah, I guess uh, if I said that right. Hopefully, I did. Uh, I need to see more. Uh, I need to see more to have faith in the offense or the defense to complement the special teams to give this team any higher than a C. Haven't seen enough consistency to have faith in the running game, passing game, and run defense. Uh, so unique production says uh, definitely a B. What more can you really ask for uh, from a first-year head coach? And look at all the rest of the first-year head coaches. We got the best deal so yeah i mean well i think if you look at what maybe jimbo fisher and and dan mullen have to be you know probably the the, the two you know as first year head coaches best hires uh from what we've seen so far well certainly none of the quarterbacks dads are sniping at the uh <laughs> at, at, at the mullins at least not yet um you know and and, and the opportunity opportunistic stuff you said was was fantastic from the standpoint of it doesn't really matter if the team was lacking confidence and wasn't quite sure how it was going to play on the road. Well, being able to generate turnovers immediately set them at ease. I mean, being up 14 points yeah. makes it a lot easier to be on the road. And so, hey, I'll take opportunistic in yeah. that in that standpoint. If it means that next week at Mississippi State, if they're in a dogfight, they're not nervous because they're already used to being on the road and, and they were able to play well because of the turnovers. Um, as far as the new head coaches, I mean, geez, Frost is really struggling out there at Nebraska. Um, Kelly obviously is struggling at UCLA, both from a recruiting perspective and on the field. Um, you know, Jimbo Fisher showed out very well against Clemson, decently against Alabama. I mean, it, it was it was a reasonable showing, but <laughs> still, yeah. we gotta put that on a curve. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I had told people to take A and M um, against the spread because it was a twenty-seven and a half point spread, yeah. and I was getting kind of nervous there towards the end. But uh, <laughs> but you know, it, they still lost twice. Yep. Right. And, and, you know, you, you, there's no moral victories. I mean, if Florida went out and played, but, you know, again, if Florida played Clemson and Alabama and it played Clemson really, really close and had gotten beaten by Alabama by, you know, 15 or 20 points, I think people would be saying Mullen's doing a good job. So, yeah, I think those are probably the two leaders in the clubhouse. And, uh, you know, but we're only four games in. And, yep. and really, you know, if, if all of a sudden Florida State's offense takes off and Taggart, you know, is right. the cause of that, then he's going to get a lot of, he's going to get a lot of props. But, you know, if Florida State's offense doesn't and Mullen keeps showing progress, then hopefully the recruits see that and, and decide that Gainesville's the place for them. All right. A couple more here. Uh, S Ford uh, says, B, we're a long way from where we want to be. We all know this would be a rebuild. The uh, players are working hard and the coaches are doing a great job of game planning. I really like the weekly progress that we're seeing. The future seems bright for the Gators. Um, Ivan Figueroa looking for a C plus B minus option. Sorry, Twitter won't let me do that. Um, only four options there. So, uh, this improvement from the solid F uh, of last year. Uh, last one here, uh, Pete, uh, at uh, Flea Basher. Um, if a B, if a B is meeting expectations, I still don't think we are the eight and nine win team most skaters expected, but we are improving, and I feel good, uh, this week. So, a Bill, uh, a B still. Uh, sits right. So, Will, I'll go, I'll go ahead and uh, first four games, I'll give the grade of a B to only these first four games, not looking ahead. You know, taking it, and this is kind of where I'll come with, with the grade here, you know, taking it from where this team was at last season, how it ended, how everything that went on, you know, you fired a coach for a reason. He wasn't getting it done. Some off-field issues as well, but it was a four and eight season. Uh, and through four games, I have seen, you know, the word I keep coming back to, I've seen progress in four games. And also the improvement, you know, since the Kentucky game. Has the schedule gotten easier since, since we know how good Kentucky um, is? Or, uh, or you know, did it get a little harder with, with Kentucky and, and what they did? Maybe, you know, like you said, there, there are not many moral victories uh, in, in college football. Uh, but, you know, I can take that loss a little easier now. Um, but, you know, the Gators, the Gators have gotten better, too, since, since that week. So I was going, you know, I was leaning a C going into this game uh, versus Tennessee, if I, if I go back and, and look at it. But destroying Tennessee, beating a rival, pushed it up to a B for me. If I had to get Pacific, you know, uh, specific, probably a B-, but beating Tennessee, beating a rival, showing progress, 
I'll put it, you know, if uh, re- really specific, I'd probably put it like a B minus right now. <laughs> and you're not allowed to choose B minuses, Dave. That, that was that was the rules, right? That's Just that, had four choices. No, no, well, on Twitter, I couldn't. I can't. Hear. <laughs> <laughs> so. I will. So, if we're just looking at the first four games and the results of the first four games, I'd give them a B. Um, you know, again, like you said, you go and you beat your rival. Kentucky looks to be a pretty good team this year. You took care of business against Charleston Southern and Colorado State, and your quarterback is playing much, much better than he did last year. And it appears as though Florida has its quarterback, at least for the next couple of years, in in Felipe Franks, which we haven't been able to say Florida appears to have its quarterback for the next however many months or however many games in in a long time at Florida. So I think that's a big deal. I think when you look at before you go, I would say probably what going back maybe from 2012 to 2013 from Driscoll to, you know, from from Driscoll first year starting to 2013. Yeah, I mean, it all went south. Yeah, I mean, you forget that that Driscoll played well in that season, but he was it was very limited in terms yeah. of what he did. Right, he wasn't the reason they were winning. Right, they were winning because of Muschamp's defense. I think actually, you can say Franks is the reason Florida's winning, along with the turnovers from the defense. You know, Franks has been above average this year when you look at yards above replacement for those four for those four games over the course of the year. If you look at what happened last year. You know, for all division or for all Power Five teams, Florida should average about thirty point four points per game based on the way Franks is playing. And this is where I get where I sort of hedge between that B and C because all the turnovers are really making the wins look a little bit better than they probably will be moving forward. And so Florida, based on yards above replacement, would average about thirty point four. The place where I think they're where I think people should be a little bit concerned is that based on yards above replacement, so how the opposing quarterback has played against Florida, they should be giving up 27.6. And that's a team. So a team that scores 30.4 points and gives up 27.6 is a team that wins six and a half games a year. And so I don't think we should be surprised going forward if there's a game where Florida really struggles, where, you know, if the offense isn't able to quite play as well as they have in the past, if the defense isn't as opportunistic, you know, there might be a game Florida drops that they shouldn't. It doesn't mean that it's going to happen. They can continue forcing turnovers. The defense can improve. Um, The defense certainly has improved since Kentucky, and that Kentucky game is really feeding into those defensive numbers quite a bit too. Um, But, you know, they were below average against Tennessee. Um, because they gave up 8.3 yards per pass. I mean, they 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 struggled in certain aspects of the game against Tennessee, and I think that's something we might see moving forward. So, you know, I, I'm with you. I, at the end of the day, you got to look at results. And so from a results perspective, it's a B. I don't think you can give them an A because most people had Florida yeah. at 4-0 at this point, mm-hmm. and they're not. They're 3-1. And, 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 right. so, and that one loss even though it was close, was pretty resounding. And it was at home. So, um, you know, I, I think... I think, And it was the end of a streak. <laughs> <laughs> that too. It's just sort of embarrassing, right? And, and that adds to it. And, and, I, and I'll acknowledge that. But yeah, I think you can say that they're a B right now. We've identified who the quarterback is. Mullen is going to go with him. I think it was a bold prediction for me earlier this year to say that Felipe Franks was going to start all the games. And I don't think it's a bold prediction anymore. I mean, I think he's... Yeah going to probably start every game he's healthy for because he seems to be a pretty good option back there and, and that's a great thing to see all right we're looking ahead uh dan mullen making his return to startville uh and come out and said in his press conference today he was asked about you know the familiarity with him and that program and also how it works the, the other way around and quote he says i think you have an understanding of the personnel on the team mullen said so as you're watching them do things he's talking about mississippi state here so as you're watching them do things that helps a little bit. Instead of having to spend a lot more time studying every strength and weakness of the guy on the field, you have a good idea of what their strength and weaknesses are. So uh, I, I thought that was you know pretty telling that, uh, of course, he knows these guys. He recruited these guys. There's not really too many true freshmen uh, from Mississippi State out there making plays or whatever. So Dan Mullen knows the personnel that he's going to be lining up against Saturday night, knows their strengths, knows their weaknesses. Uh, and, and I, I think that is kind of – you know, telling that he, he would actually even come out and say that, you know, they don't have to spend so much time on, on tendencies that they know uh, that these the guys he recruited and built this team up with, uh, he knows what to look for. 
Yeah, well, that's because they're going to have to spend time drilling discipline into their players. <laughs> <laughs> so the last time Florida played a running quarterback, he ran 10 times for 105 yards and absolutely gashed them. And, and and a lot of that had to do with gap discipline. A lot of that had to do with setting the edge. A lot of that had to do with running by the quarterback, trying to get a sack when that's not what was necessary. You know, the guys had to do their jobs and they weren't and they got out of their lanes. And so it allowed Terry Wilson to run. And and those are the kinds of plays that are going to kill you when you look at somebody like Fitzgerald or, or even if Thompson gets in there. You know, these guys don't throw for an enormous amount of yardage. They didn't last year and they haven't this year. And the idea that Moorhead, one of the reasons I was kind of down on Mississippi State compared to other people is I just didn't think that Moorhead was going to be able to come in and all of a sudden have have Fitzgerald chucking the ball around at 10 yards an attempt. I just didn't think that was what was going to happen. Um, that has been the case. They have struggled to throw the ball with those guys, but they're still running the ball. And Fitzgerald has a lot of 100-yard rushing games. And if he puts up a 100-yard rushing game against Florida, it's going to be tough for them to win because 100 yards rushing from your quarterback is is a significant, significant contribution to the offense. Keeps the chains moving, um, puts you in positions to convert, um, convert field goals into touchdowns. Um, punts into field goals, those sorts of things. And so, you know, to me, the running of Fitzgerald is going to be the most important part. And that's going to be, I think, where where Mullen is going to have to drill. It's not necessarily a strength. It's just going to be, you know, that's where Mississippi State's going to have to beat them. And mm-hmm. and we'll see whether Grantham and Mullen can come up with a scheme that that allows Florida's defense to be able to take advantage. Yeah, I mentioned it, it works the other way too. And uh, the players knowing Dan Mullen, and he quote says, uh, We tried to change a lot of terminology of signals and all kinds of different stuff because the players know a lot of the different things that we do. But unfortunately, they're going to have comfort against the scheme. You know what I mean? Because uh, the defense has gone against our offense, their offense has gone against our defense. So there's going to be some comfort with them against the scheme in which we run. We're a little bit different this year than where we are last year, but overall, there's still a lot of similarities. So that gives their players on the field an advantage. Well, I don't know how big that advantage is, um, uh, you know, because uh, of course it's not going to be the full playbook uh, that Nick Fitzgerald could run uh, last year, and there's a little bit of different talent that Florida can use uh, t- to their advantage. Uh, but it is interesting that that, that Dan Mullins can sit here and, and admit that uh, the Mississippi State will have some comfort in the scheme that Florida will roll out there Saturday night. Yeah, it's interesting that he'd say that. I also think it's possibly a way to take advantage. If you throw a wrinkle they've never seen in on yeah. their first offensive drive, then all of a sudden those guys are questioning, oh, what else does he have? And you make, <laughs> and you make them a step slower, and yeah, all of a sudden you're able to pop a couple of runs that you wouldn't have been able to pop if you just went out there with your traditional – with your traditional offense. So it'll be interesting to see whether he comes out with a wrinkle that maybe they haven't seen, or maybe even a trick play that, that Mississippi state had practiced a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> last but, year. And, and maybe even run it just one little different wrinkle away. Well, you know, so, I mean, it, it gives you that opportunity. And I, yeah. I think, um, you know, there are some hitters who, when you think about, again, the baseball analogy, there are some hitters who like to know that the curveball's coming. There are some hitters who just want to read and react. And, you know, we'll have to, I think it's sort of the same way with Mississippi State's defense. I think you can slow them down with you, – you can play a head game to slow them down a little bit if you throw a couple of wrinkles in, and, and I think Mullen's smart enough to do that. And I think he'll probably need that to be able to pull off an upset because Florida's not favored in this game. I think they're actually underdogs by more than a touchdown. And uh, you know, so they're going to have to pull out some stops, and we'll see if they're able to do that. Well, I'll see you uh, before we wrap up here and get your you know kind of opinions on uh, you know what else you you think you'll see in this game. But I think it's pretty apparent that uh, physicality is going to be a huge part uh, of this game. Mississippi State coming off of a loss, they were kind of already a physical team anyway. Uh, but you know that that Kentucky loss is going to have them stinging. They're going to be ready to play. Uh, I think it's a wide out for their fan base. Uh, they're going to be amped up. The fan base is going to be amped up. But I really think you know the physicality is really going to be tested here in this game. Yeah, I think you're right. I think Florida's going to need to run the ball a little bit. I, I think the the thing I'll be looking for is pass protection. So Mississippi State has a pretty good defensive line. Um, at least that's what what we um, what we thought coming into the year. And if they can get pressure with just the front four on Felipe Franks, it's going to be a long day. And if the offensive line can keep that defensive line off of Franks, I do think there are going to be some opportunities to hit some big plays. And Florida's offense has not been, you know, it's not when when they average eight yards a, a play in a game, 
it's not like they're averaging six, 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 and then they hit a 20 yard play. It's they're averaging two, 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 and then they hit a 40 yard play. And so those big plays are going to be important. And the way you get those is you go down the field when you've got one on one coverage. Um, they've got the guys to get those. You know, Van Jefferson's pretty tall. Uh, Tyree Cleveland's pretty tall. Plus, he's athletic. And then Trevon Grimes is huge. I mean, he's like six foot five. So, um, I think they've got the guys to be able to do those sorts of things and take advantage of the one-on-one coverage, but you're going to need some pass protection, and that's going to be the offensive line. That's going to be the linebacker. I'm sorry, that's going to be the running backs. And and we saw that against Tennessee. The question is, will we see that when the competition gets considerably better? All right. Well, you'll have your uh, preview up later this week on Read and Reaction. I will. I'm going to have a preview up, and I have a little bit. Uh, hopefully, I'm going to have something that's a little bit of a season thus far, sort of looking at, at the quarterbacks in the SEC and where they rank. Um, and then uh, also the Open Huddle podcast. If people want to submit, readandreaction.com slash open huddle. You can submit uh, submit comments, questions, whatever. Certainly, you control me for picking for picking Tennessee <laughs> if you like. Um, and and you know, right, rightfully so. I'll t- I'll take it and I'll put your question or comment or or criticism on air and 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 give you a response. So that's been really fun to do. That was fun to do last week. Hopefully, uh, hopefully people enjoyed it. We'll be getting that up on iTunes this week. Um, and okay. so, uh, so hopefully, hopefully more people will get, get an opportunity to participate and, and listen. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun there. And, uh, Will and I keep, keep that thing going. As I said, he can, you can find it on readreaction.com. You said slash open huddle, right? Will? Yes. All right. So yeah. Um, fun stuff there. Uh, well, we're, uh, we're in this podcast world, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, people want content. We're happy to give it to them. It's, it's fun to talk about the Gators, especially, you know, I I, <laughs> I know that, that I tend to be critical, and that's sort of my nature, but I want the team to succeed. I want them to be good, and, and it was a lot of fun to watch them destroy a rival and listen to the fans be quiet and, you know... <laughs> know that they weren't going to be able to say anything to you that bothered you because your team had won by 26. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the best, that's the best feeling in the world is to go to, go to the visiting. It, it's fun to go to the swamp. It's a really cool place to watch the game. It's fun to celebrate with 90,000 of your, of your friends when, when they win, but it's kind of fun to celebrate with three of your friends <laughs> in amongst a hundred thousand people. Well, by the end of the game, it was like 5,000 people, but <laughs> 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 but it's fun to celebrate that that touchdown for Swain was great. We were like one of, I mean, there were like five people in our section wearing blue, and we were all going nuts. And everybody else from Tennessee just had their little sad face on, and it was it was fantastic. Awesome, awesome, and uh, hopefully many more wins are coming. Hopefully we can get one against Mississippi State, set up a big showdown. Uh, it was announced today, three thirty, CBS, LSU, uh, the next weekend, October sixth. So. Florida can somehow go Starkville and get a win. That sets up a big, big showdown uh, in the swap uh, the, the very next weekend. So, Will, anything else? Nah, man, just really appreciate everybody reaching out while I was in Knoxville and making sure I was okay the next day when they hadn't heard from me on Twitter and I was driving back. I had some people wondering whether I was in jail. So I uh, appreciate them reaching out and being concerned about me, though I think it was more to make jokes at my expense. But, <laughs> but, but it was still fun. And uh, really, you know, the audience that we have is great. I mean, everybody participates, everybody um, contributes, and, and it's really cool to be able to, to, to contribute to this podcast, but also to interact with the fans out there because these are the best fans in the country. Absolutely, absolutely. So that's Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC and his work at ReadAndReaction.com. I'm David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.